Karen's going to bring us the word. It's been a little while. I'm excited. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Josh, for that good word. Jesus, we're so glad that you're here tonight with us. Glad that your presence and the presence of the Holy Spirit is here. You promised that two or three gather together. There you are in the midst of them. We welcome you. We celebrate you. We desire you. And we thank you that our hearts are good soil to receive the good word of God tonight. Father, I thank you for the anointing of God on the word and that every word is your word coming out of my mouth. Every word is from your heart. And we thank you in advance for what you're going to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. It's good to see all of you tonight. I hope you're keeping Pastor Sid and Jen in your prayers. Um, they are on a very deserved vacation with their family. Uh, and I just am so glad that they're, do, they're able to do that. Amen? Praise God. Will you open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12? We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. Keep your thumb there, because I'm going to read from Psalms 45, 7 first. Thou loveth righteousness and hateth wickedness. Therefore, God thy God has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above all thy fellows. Do you know that Jesus never had a bad day? Think about that. In the short amount of time he was on the earth, he never had a bad day. He suffered the most, was ridiculed by the best, tortured by the worst, killed by a hideous death, and yet the Bible says he had more joy than all his fellows. He endured accusations, persecutions, judgments, jealousies, all anger, hatred, everything above anybody, but he allowed... And that's a beautiful word. He allowed the joy of the Lord, that beautiful fruit of joy, to rule and reign in his life. And he's our example. Now, Hebrews 12, verse 1 through 4. And it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, consider Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Amen? Jesus is our example, and he endured the cross, and he endured it because he had you on his mind. That is what produced joy in the heart of Jesus. You were and you are worth it. 
Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And Luke 17, 21 says, Behold, the kingdom of God is where? Where? Within you. Everybody, everybody, within me. If you're born again, the kingdom of God is within you, and that's the joy of the Lord, peace and righteousness. It's already been deposited in you. We have entered into the kingdom of God by being born again. And we know that 1 Corinthians 5.17 talks about, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That is a work of the Holy Spirit or the Godhead. You didn't have any part to play in that other than uh, believing in your heart. He even gave you the faith for that. That's a God work. So Jesus said in John 3, 5, Truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. Now, I could get off on a little rabbit trail and say, born of the water, born of water and spirit, and say, um, Jesus was baptized. If you're born again and you've never been baptized, you should be baptized in water. Now, the thief on the cross didn't have a chance to be baptized, did he? But if you have a chance to be baptized, do it. Everybody say, do it. Turn to your neighbor and say, do it. Jesus, again, our example. The other that I've said before, and I think it is getting more relevant as the days go by, is that you have to be born by the washing of the womb of a woman. AI is slowly, gradually taking over, and robots that look like humans and talk like humans and the whole bit. And that's gaining ground faster than what we probably realize. They, don't, they can't be born again. They're not born of a woman. So it's important. You know, I, I just feel I needed to throw that in there because of the technology and the times that we're living in right now. So being born again is a pretty important thing, wouldn't you say? Can we put that first picture up? Remember I was up here before I left in July, and I said the, the father spoke out that July was going to be a month of... You remember that? All right. When God says something, I just take it to heart. It's like he spoke it to me. And I took it to heart. I was so excited about the month of July. Now, I was gone a lot a month of the July. I started in North Carolina at my son James and Toddy's. And one day, we went to the pool. And I walked in the gate, and I felt a stirring in my spirit. And when that happens, I stop. And I said, Father, what? What are you up to? You know, I just know he's wanting to do something. And I ask questions, you know, what do you want, what do you want to do? So I just pray in the spirit and I just stay in tune. And these five men were on the deep end of the pool and we were at the shallow end playing ball with my grandchildren and I'm praying in the spirit. And all of a sudden I heard, 
I don't want to die. I don't want to die from one of these guys. And the Lord said, go. And I turn and I walk in, in, toward the deep water right in the midst of these four men. And I said, guys, I am sorry, but I overheard somebody saying I don't want to die. And one of them said, yeah, he was pushing me under the water and I couldn't breathe. And I said, okay, well, hey, do you mind if I ask you a question? They all kind of look at each other. No, no, go ahead, ask a question. And I said, if you should die tonight, see how you can segue? See how the Lord segues into people's lives? If you would die tonight, you're not, but if you would, and you're at the gate of heaven, and the angel says to you, what makes you think you can come into heaven? What would you say? And I looked at the first guy. He looked at this friend. I, I don't know. What would you say? Uh, I go to church. Okay. What, what would you say? Um, I uh, don't know. Okay. Well, what would you say? <laughs> I went all through all five. And when I got to the last one, I said, would you like to know, is that important to you that you would know how to get into heaven or would you rather go to that place? And I'm being very animated and very engaging. And they're all looking at me and they're saying, well, we all, we want to go to heaven. We want to go there. I said, okay, how would you like to know the right answer? And they all said, yes. Ushers, you want to come up with those? I want to tell you exactly what I said to these five men. In the pool, captive audience. You can pass those out. I want to give every one of the, everybody who would like one, one of these cards. They're, they're being passed out. And if you would like one, please take one. These are the cards that we use for CityGate, and they're not just for CityGate. But what they are is this. And this is what I said to these five men. Unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I said, that's how you get born again. And then I quoted 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And I stood there in the pool right around them and preached the gospel. And I let the word of God do the work. And I had the confidence to go and move myself over there because I had hidden the word in my heart. It wasn't about me. It was about Jesus and what he wanted done. And it'll just give you a confidence knowing that you've hidden the word in your heart. It will just come out of your mouth 
you know, being ready in season and out. So my daughter and love, Toddy, and her friend were kind of on the sidelines listening. And as it turned out, uh, all five of them individually said, I want to be born again. I want to make sure that I'm going to be in heaven. And I led them all in a prayer, and all five out loud, water volume, gave their life to the Lord, confessed their sins before the Lord, and asked them to come into his, their heart and be born again. I'm telling you, there is no greater high in the world than to allow Jesus to work through you in the Great Commission. You don't have to go across the oceans to fulfill the Father's business. You don't. It's great when you do, but I'm telling all of you right now, you don't have to travel. You don't even have to probably go, you can go next door and, and do the, the Great Commission. America is a mission field. It really is a mission field. So look at your five new brothers in the Lord. One day we'll, be, we'll meet them face to face again. I pray for them every day that God's, God's purpose and plan for their life will come to fruition in the flesh, that they'll all walk together. And then I encourage them to be, you know, edifying each other and, and walking together as brothers. That was a miracle. To me, if you ask me what the greatest miracle is, I would tell you the greatest miracles on the face of the earth are the miracles of the heart. Because the heart is eternal. You know, things of this world, things, even this flesh, it's great, you know, when miracles happen. It is, it's great. But the heart is eternal. And we know from the word, men look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. He's looking at our heart. So I, I really encourage you to memorize this card. I have one on my table, in the bathroom, and I've memorized it over, over time to where it just comes out and it flows out. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to explain to you really how important it is and how the integrity of the word of God is to the Father. So when your sins are forgiven by the shedding of the blood of Jesus, your spirit becomes born again when you ask him to come in and forgive you. Now the very nature and characteristic of the God himself comes into you. You're placed in the kingdom where you have access to all his righteousness, peace, joy, all the fruit of the spirit, because you're now a son of God, right? Second Peter 1.3 says that all things pertaining to life and godliness is now been given to you. Well, it's our, our God-given right to partake of it. It is. So help yourself. It's all available to you. But you got to know what's yours. And when you know it, which is you're gathering information and knowledge and wisdom, you got to remind yourself every day. And the best scripture I know is Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of my mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein. When? Day and night. So that you can what? Observe to do all that's written therein. Then the promise is you'll make your way prosperous. Then you'll have good success. So 
God's promises, if you meditate in the word, stay in the word, and be a doer of it, you'll prosper and you'll be of good success. That means obey the word of God. Flat out, just obey the word. So that's James 1.22, be a doer of the word. We've been ushered into the kingdom. Now we've got to let that kingdom come out. We know that the word says, work out your salvation. So all fruit begins with a seed. And 1 Peter 1.23 says, it's an incorruptible seed, the word of God. That means it can't be corrupted, can't mold, can't delay, decay. Um, it never changes. It's forever settled in heaven. Uh, culture doesn't change it. Politics doesn't change it. Your opinion doesn't change it. Hello. What, how many of you know God's right? All the time. And he's not changing his mind in, about his word. Amen? So, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's go there. I'm going to look at verses 16 through 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment is working for us. That struggle you're in, that trial you're in, that tribulation you're in, that persecution you're in, it's working for you a far more exceedingly an eternal weight of glory. I hope you read that. That's, that's the word of God. While we, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are what? temporary. They come to pass. But the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house's tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. I like to, I like to think about it as having two eyes. My eye is on that day where I'm going to see Jesus face to face. <laughs> and my eye is on today because it's the only day I have. Yesterday's under the blood. Tomorrow's not here yet. So this day is crucially important on how I walk out my representing Jesus well. Would you agree with that? If I, if I decide that today's the, the first day of the rest of my life or the last day of the rest of my life, I'm going to do whatever it takes to walk this out the way it would be pleasing to my father. Because if I do it today, and I do it tomorrow, and I do it next week, and I do it next month, I'm headed on the narrow road that's taken me home. And there's a compounding. There's a converging. There's a gradual suddenly. There's lots of suddenlies in life, but people forget that there's been a gradual to get there. Amen? It's true. And God is more interested in your heart than he is in your temporal needs. And I'm, I'm not saying he's not interested in your temporal needs. Please hear me. He's more interested in your heart, though. That is a fact. Turn to Psalms 51. 
I want you to read something about David. David was, um, wow, he was quite a guy. He was a man after God's own heart, but he had ups and downs, didn't he? He had trials that he made himself. Amen? And he had great mountaintop experiences with the Lord. It was, he's just, if you read Psalms, he's low, he's high. He's in the middle. He's low, he's high. I mean, I've read through Psalms and I just see that thread through his life. But Psalms 51 is a Psalm that he wrote after um, he had Uriah killed and took Bathsheba, you know, uh, for for his wife or he just took her and he sinned. And he was living with that sin. We don't know how long he was living with that sin. But but as a born-again believer, can you agree with me that when you sin, you know it? Yes. I think we all can agree. When you sin, you know it. You can pretend really well. You can let the outward appearance of your life look really good. But guess who knows the truth? Who? Who? God does. He knows everything. He knows, he knows how many hairs are on your head. Now, that's intimacy. Don't think you're going to pull anything past the Lord. You're not. He's keeping good records. So here it is. Nathan's walking around, you know, as king, doing his thing. Uh, we don't know how long after he sinned that the prophet Nathan came to him. Now, listen to this psalm, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but parts of it. It's a prayer that after it was exposed, after the sin was exposed, Nathan exposed it. This is a prayer that Nathan wrote. And it's one of the most powerful psalms in the, in the Bible. It'll grip your heart because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Say, that's me. Yeah, we're born again, have the Spirit of God in us, but sometimes we miss it. And here is David. He starts off with, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. He knew God. He knew he was a merciful God. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. This is the first time he is acknowledging it. And my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. That is a really important scripture. God will be called blameless when we stand before him. Absolutely blameless. Purge me with hispis and I shall be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. He's beseeching the Lord. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew in me a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners shall be converted to you. 
For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. This is what the Lord is looking for in each one of us as we journey home. Because many of the trials and tribulations, we have an enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and we are constantly every day in a spiritual battle. When I was here before July, I shared very transparently a story about my ex-husband. And I'm going to give you part two of that. Part one was uh, three months ago, he started uh, falling and not getting his breath. So he went to the doctors and they did a heart catheterization and found that in the main artery it was 100% blocked and in the other ones 95% blocked. And the doctor very soberly sat down in front of him and said, uh, by all right, you should have died a long time ago with this kind of blockage. But something has happened to your heart that I have never witnessed but heard about. And I've been a heart specialist for 30 years. He said, your heart grew a new vein in front of your heart. And that little vein has kept you alive. Credible story, isn't it? So when that filtered down through the family, um, and I heard it, I went to the father. I sat on my couch, and I, I said to him, I know why his heart is hardened, but I don't know why you grew a new vein and extended his life. Will you tell me why you did that? And the Lord immediately said to me, he said, Karen, of all his siblings, he was the only one who took, took care of his mother the last five years of her life. And he did. He moved in with her, took care of her finances, made sure she ate, took her to the doctors. He took care of his mom. And he said, I'm bound by my own word to have extended his life. Honor thy mother and thy father, and it will go well with you, and you will live a long life. It's a, it's a command with a promise. And I'm bound by my own word to look over and perform it. When he spoke those words to me, I literally broke down in tears. I just sobbed before the Lord at the integrity of God the Father to supersede something that in the natural would have killed somebody a long time ago, but superseded by growing a vein to perform his word and extend his life. Well, I held that in my heart, and uh, he could not get the surgery at that hospital. It was too risky, so he had to go to another one. And he was scheduled July 5th to get open-heart surgery. He had the chest open, a quad bypass 
on July 5th, Wednesday morning. And July 8th, Saturday morning, he was on vacation with the whole family. Three days later, my daughter drove him from Tennessee to South Carolina, and he was with his family on vacation. Three days. Miracle number two. So I'm, you know, very uh, sensitive in the spirit as to whether or not to share this story with him. And uh, the Lord said yes. So Wednesday morning, I walked in his bedroom and I asked him if I could tell him a story. And I pulled up a chair face to face and I sat down and I shared the story with him. And when I told him that the Lord extended, you know, your life for because you honored your mom, he started sobbing. Sobbing where he couldn't talk. Just sobbing. And I, you know, I let the Lord just do what the Lord wanted done. I just sat back and allowed the Lord to do, you know, really what he was doing. And then I said to him, I'm going to be very candid and tell you what the whole conversation because I really feel the Lord wants me to. It's going to help somebody here tonight or somebody. I said to him, you know, Ron, I know why your heart is hardened and all your arteries got plugged up like that. It's bitterness. And you've been bitter toward me for 27 years. And he came to himself and he started defending himself like that wasn't true. You know how you, people can defend their right to be wrong. And, and I said to him, now, please bear with me. I'm being so transparent here. I said, hear me out. Last year on vacation, you brought me breakfast, and you said these very words. I, my buddies can't understand how I can be with you under one roof for one week. But I just tell them I want you to be happy. And you were with my daughter and son-in-love for a couple weeks, and you were negatively bad-mouthing me, and he said, if you don't shut your mouth, you pack your bags and leave. And those were true situations and true statements to where he knew he couldn't say anything. He couldn't rebuttal because it was true. Sometimes you need to bring a person to a place of, of a reality of truth, before you can help them get delivered. And because they can't recognize it. They've been so deceived. They've deceived themselves and sear their conscience to truth. And until you present truth to them, they can't even see it. So at that point, I said to him, um, Ron, I love you. I do. I love you. And you never stop loving somebody who gave you five children. You, you just don't. I said, I love you, and I want you to be free. I want you to live out the rest of your days in freedom, and so does God. He doesn't want you to live a bittered life. And I said, I repent to you for anything I've done or said that has injured your heart. Will you please forgive me? And he said, I thought we did this already. And I said, we did. 
And I took it to heart, and obviously you did not. So he started sobbing again. Just, I mean, God is breaking his heart. He's breaking his heart with truth. Because God doesn't want us to stay in a place of bitterness or unforgiveness or resentment or anger or all of that gang from the old nature and the kingdom of darkness. He doesn't want you to stay there. God will do anything, even grow a new vein to extend your life so you can get it. He loves you. He's lovesick over you. He wants the best for you. And it took this, all of this, to get him to that point where God could break his heart with the truth of where he was. And love never fails. Don't ever stop loving the people who have stopped loving you. So it's just one great big sob fest in the room. And finally... I said, well, let's pray again. Let's repent to one another, and let's, let's break off that bitterness and that unforgiveness, and let's really get what God wants in our relationship. And he, he just shook his head. He couldn't even talk. So I, I started and prayed and you know repented, and then he did, and then we prayed for one another, broke off that bitterness. It's a demonic spirit that seeks to attach itself to you. See, this is the deal. Your spirit is born again, but you've got a soulish realm that we're in charge of. I'm in charge of seeds and weeds. And if I don't take care of the seeds and the weeds, they're going to grow and multiply. And bitterness is a seed that grows underground. It's awful. It will, it, will, it will ruin your good fruit. It'll kill it. Bitterness, uh, unforgiveness, resentment, anger, hatred, uh, murder, murder of the tongue. Murder of the tongue has done more killing than any weapons that man have made. So we did that. We prayed for one another and we stood up and we hugged. And uh, I, I just believe in my heart that it took. Amen? You believe with me? It took. And I said to him, you know, your firstborn son has carried a lot of injury that he really doesn't know how to process. And this would be a great opportunity for you to, as the father to speak to your son. And he said to me, I don't know anything I've done to him. And he meant it. I mean, I think he was sincere when he said that. And I looked at him. I said, Ron, there is so much that has been done to, in word and deed to hurt your firstborn son. Will you find it in your heart to have a conversation with him? And then the best thing I've ever heard came out of his lips. He said, what do I say? There was the brokenness. There was the humility. He didn't know what to do. And sometimes we find ourselves in that place. We don't know what to do. 
And that's why we have Jesus, and that's why we have each other. Did you hear what I just said? That's why we have each other, the body of Christ. And so I said to him, well, the most important thing, Ron, is you don't defend yourself. You're not here to defend yourself when your son comes to you with all the hurts in his heart. You're just there to listen. And when he's done, just say, I am so sorry that I hurt you, that I injured your heart. Will you, will you find some place in your heart to forgive me? And he, and he shook his head and sobbed again and said, I'll do it. The very next day, Scott, my oldest son, Scott, brought lunch down to him in the pontoon boat. And I was so blessed to be privy to watch as they sat on the boat for well over an hour, almost an hour and a half, talking to one another. And at one point, they stood up and embraced for a very long time. And later on, um, in a moment with my oldest son, I, was, I said, I saw you and your dad talking. And he said, he said yeah, Mom. And he started a big tear down his eye. He said, we, we reconciled. He said, my heart is clean and light, and I feel like anything I had against my dad is gone. And it was such a beautiful moment. That is what the Lord is looking for in all of our hearts as we journey home. It's so important that we're transparent, that we're accountable to one another, that you have somebody in your life that you can talk to, ask questions, find out what's going on in the depths of my heart. What am I pretending about? What am I hiding why am I acting the way I am? Why am I not being real? These are important questions, important things to be talking out with people because sometimes we just stuff and stuff and pretend and all the time we're just getting worse and worse and worse and the enemy is getting more and more ground. Will you put up that second picture, please? When I went away, before I went away, I spent a lot of time on a garden. I just wanted a garden. And I worked very hard getting that garden. Doesn't it look great? And I was gone three and a half weeks. And the, second, the next picture, look at it. I could not believe it when my eyes fell upon my precious garden. It was full, I mean, overtaken with weeds, literally overtaken. I know I could see a tomato hidden somewhere in there, but the weeds had front and center stage in just three and a half weeks. Think about 27 years. How would that affect a person's heart? How about a couple months? How does it affect a human heart when we refuse to take care of the weeds? See, this was a gradual thing that happened over three and a half weeks. I was the suddenly that came upon it. 
So look at the next picture. I got my hoe in there, and I'm tacking those weeds. Do you see my progress? I hate weeds. Uh, We're going to have a conversation when I get up there. But it's a great explanation. Isn't it a great explanation of how we allow the enemy access into our life? And then the next question is, how long are we going to allow him access in our life? Two good questions. As born-again children of God that have been given all things pertaining to life and godliness... You've got the blood of Jesus. You've got the name of Jesus. You've got the whole bound book of the word of God. You've got the armor of God. You have everything you need to walk with your head up in victory and overcoming every single day, no matter what the trials and tribulations are going on in your life. You already have the victory because Jesus already purchased it for you. Why are you allowing the enemy access in your life. Do you think things are going to fare well for you? David, again, one of my heroes of the Bible, in the worst situation that he experienced, they were out in battle and the Amalekites came in to zigzag and zigzag, ziglag, and took all the wives and all the kids and all the spoil and burned the city. And they came back, he and his great men, and Nothing was there. The bad thing, it it took a worse twist because his own men started turning on him. They were weary. They They were done fighting. This was the ultimate loss. And yet we see in 1 Samuel, verse 30, verse 30, verses 6 through 19, David encouraged himself in the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. He got, the, the, uh, got away with the Lord, and he sought him. He asked him questions. Will we overtake these uh, Amalekites? Will we overtake? Will we win if we pursue them? The Lord said, yes, you'll recover all. Ask your father questions. If you're in a place that you just don't know where to go or what to do or where to turn, Ask questions. Sometimes we just ask the wrong ones. So keep asking. God the Father wants you to know what he wants you to do more than you want to know what to do. And he's willing, more than willing, to speak to you about it. So Jesus is always our answer. We've got to learn to praise, to worship, to thank the Lord. This side of your problem being answered. Because he's faithful. God's a good God, and he's a faithful God. And joy takes faith when you're facing something. Um, When the squeeze is on, let me just say this. When the squeeze is on, what's inside is coming out. And guess what? It's manifesting. Family, we are all spiritual. We're spirit beings. And we know and see what's going on in the spirit realm. We do. You're manifesting all the time. Me too. You're manifesting joy. You're manifesting unforgiveness. 
You're manifesting bitterness. You're, you're manifesting a thankful heart. You're manifesting. And guess what? We can all see it. Can I have a yes and amen on that? Especially your spouses, especially those who are nearest and dearest to you, you're not pulling anything over their eyes. You're manifesting. I don't know if that's a shocker for some of you or not, but it is the truth. You're going to manifest by the way you carry yourself, by what you do. You're talking out of the abundance of your heart. Your mouth will speak. And we know that Proverbs 18:20, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they they eat it will what? Bear the fruit of it, eat the fruit of it, right? So what you're thinking will come in your heart, your heart will manifest through words, and you're producing either death or life. That's what the Bible says. There's no middle ground with your words. And it's a great locator. It's a great indicator of where you are in your particular circumstance. Jesus said that whatsoever a man soweth, he's going to reap. Is that important to you? If you're going to reap the seed you're sowing, wouldn't it behoove us to check up on our seed level and where we're planting I just think that's the wisdom of God. And then go a step further and ask somebody, how am I doing? How's, how's my sewing look in your eyes? Whoa, now we're meddling. If you really want to represent Jesus well and really give it all you got in this short temporal time we have here, be accountable to somebody. Ask them the hard questions. How am I doing? Do you see anything in my life that I need to make an adjustment or a correction on? And ask somebody that you know that will speak the truth and love to you. Not take advantage of you, but speak the truth and love to you. You need people like that in your life. Habakkuk 3. Let's turn there real quick. It's way in the back by the small prophets, and I found it. So it's Habakkuk 3, and we're going to look at uh, 17 and 19. And it says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, though the labor of the olives may fail, and the fields yield no, yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there's no herd in the stalls. This is a bad situation. Yet... Everybody say, yet. Yet, I will. I'll use my will. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. And he will make me walk on my high places. That's the God we serve. I don't care how bad things look. God is still God, and he loves you. Now, this was written in the midst of a judgment with Israel. They were sacrificing their babies to Baal, and it was a bad judgment on Israel. But I want you to see the Father's heart in this matter. This is the Old Testament, but it's still the Father's heart. Turn to Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28. See, the, 
God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? He doesn't change. So even though it's the Old Testament, um, it doesn't matter. It's still the heart of the Father. And I'm Deuteronomy 28, it starts off with the curses. And I know we've been redeemed by the curse of the law. So this doesn't apply to us to that as far as curses. But I want you to see the heart of the Father. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now that still applies today, my dear family. To keep his commandments and his statutes, which he commanded you. This is a big deal to God. And they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and for your descendants forever because... Verse 47, you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. For the abundance of everything. This is Old Testament, but look what 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says. Now all these things happen unto them, the Israelites, for us as an example but were written down for our instruction and warning for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. When you're reading the Old Testament, look at it in the eyes of what can I learn from the Israelites? What did they do good and what did they do bad? And learn from that. God wants us to learn from that. Amen? Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Strength is uh, the capacity to withstand under great force or pressure. The quality of state of being strong. Prayer is, praise is designed for us as an expression of love and trust to our Heavenly Father. And it supplies us with the power and the strength that we need to walk present tense in this very evil, wicked world. It's activated by the, by the fruit of your lips. And that's Hebrews 13, 15. By him, Jesus, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. Continually, repetitively, frequently amplified. In the same way, without interruption, what is the fruit of our lips? Giving thanks. Unto his name. We know in Acts 16, Paul and Silas exemplified this so well. In a prison, locked up for doing good, mind you. And they, what were they doing? They were praising the Lord. They were thanking the Lord. You know, they had an eye on eternity. They knew they were, they were this, this life was temporal. And they knew, hey, if this is it, Praise the Lord. Glory to God. They were thankful that they were thankful that they were born again. Thankful that all the things that God had done for them and with them and through them, right? They were thankful. They were praising the Lord. What did the Lord do? He created an earthquake. Opened up all the prisoners' doors. Not just theirs, but the prisoners as well. And they all got born again because they were able to preach the gospel. See how the Lord works through praise? It's so powerful. Praise will put you over. 
Faith does not deny the reality of difficulty. It declares the power of God in the face of it. Some scriptures specifically command us to rejoice in the midst of trouble. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, rejoice evermore. Do you know that's a command? It doesn't say, well, if you think about it or if you feel like it, rejoice. Nope. You rejoice evermore. Do you ever think about that as a command? Anybody? Anybody else? Okay. The next one is pray without ceasing. Let's just stop here for a second. Pray without ceasing. That's a command. Now, think, I, I think strange things sometimes, so this is one of them. The disciples came to Jesus because he was such a great prayerer. And they said, will you teach us how to pray? We're observing you. You're getting your prayers answered. Will you teach us how to pray? You know what he taught them? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of all our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus gave those precious words to his disciples. And he said, this is how you pray. Now, they were not filled with the Spirit and had a prayer language when he asked them to pray for an hour in the garden while he was suffering. Remember, he asked them, will you pray with me for an hour? He gave them a prayer that they could pray for an hour over and over and over. And they didn't do it. I equate this praying without ceasing like a football game. You know, the coach comes out on the football field, and he's got the quarterback and all the team, and they're in a huddle, and he gives them the plan. And the whole purpose is to get that little leather ball across that goal line, right? And he gives them the plan. And they're all excited about it. That's what they're going to do. If you're not praying, you're not playing. If you're not praying every day, you're not even on the field. You're probably a spectator. That's how important it is to be praying every single day of your life. I'm going to encourage you to make a correction in your prayer time, in your prayer life. And say they are Father. You know, pray. If you, have your, if you have your prayer language, you, I really encourage you to pray in your prayer language every day. That is such a beautiful, beautiful gift that Jesus gave us. And to leave it dormant is a tragedy. So much, gets ha- so much happens when you pray the perfect will of the Father out through praying in tongues. It's absolutely phenomenal what God can do in and through you. So pray without ceasing. Just let it happen. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth.
Matthew 5.11 says, Bless you, bless he, when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. There's that word. We don't tend to emphasize that word. So when you're being persecuted and people say things against you falsely, he says, for my sake. But falsely is something we bring bring upon ourselves. It's something that we do wrong or doing wrong. And it's not a false persecution. You're wrong. You sinned. You're sinning. And what you're doing is wrong. Are you, are you hearing me on this? Falsely. Jesus says, if they haven't done, if you haven't done anything falsely, then rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward. But if you are doing something wrong and you're bringing it upon yourself, you have to bring yourself to a point of humility and be willing to see it and acknowledge it and take responsibility for it. And then repent to get yourself out of there. You've got to get out of there. And no one's going to pull you out. You have got to get yourself out. And you've got to be willing with humility to see, I got myself here by my own self. You see, when we blame other people, it's like, when, if I was to blame somebody for something, I literally will put myself in a jail cell, literally behind bars, lock the, 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 door, the door, and throw that person I'm blaming the key. Because I'm thinking in my heart, if you don't change, I can't. See, they got to change, or that circumstance has to change. Not moi. Not me. I don't have to change. It's their fault. Come on now. That's the truth of it. And by blaming other people, you lock yourself in a prison and there you are going to rot. It's such a lie of the enemy. It's a fat lie of the father of lies that to to convince you that you have the right to blame somebody else for your problems. Such a lie. And boy, he captivates and ensnares people with that lie. And years go by with no victory, no overcoming, because they chose to blame somebody else instead of taking personal responsibility and getting yourself up and out of there yourself. Now, sometimes you need help, like somebody to come and give you truth and love and hit you over the head with a two-by-four and bring the truth to you to make you blink for the first time in years. Come on, let's be real. We all need this, sometime or another in our life. I do. Maybe you don't. Maybe I'm preaching to me but I'm glad for it because I love coming up and out. And I really actually like to repent. You know, you all know I hurt my knee in February and I I was in bad shape. Now, I don't complain and murmur. A lot of you didn't know how bad off I was, but I was in bad shape. I was in a lot of pain. And I I found myself, 
uh, complaining to the Lord about it. I was complaining. I was um, discouraged. I was depressed. I was mad. I was mad. I was really mad. I think I was mad first, then I got discouraged, and then I got depressed. It was kind of that progression. Anyway, long story short, you know, I decided to start praising the Lord and thanking God and believing for my healing. You know, you give yourself a little bit of slack, like a, like a frog's hair of slack. That's it, though. That's it. Don't give yourself any more. And I started wearing a sleeve on this knee because it was sliding. It was wobbly. I don't know what I did to it. You know, I, I went to the doctor and got an x-ray. Everything looked good, but I was still very unsure of my walking. It was kind of sloppy, so I put a sleeve on. And I was wearing that sleeve morning and night. I mean it. I'd go in the pool with that sleeve on. I just never took it off because, after all, it was keeping my knee together. Are you following me? So I get to North Carolina, and my daughter in love's uh, mother is a physical therapist, and she said to me, she pulled me aside, and you could tell she was a little squeamish. You know? Do you know it's a risk to tell somebody the truth? How many of you know that? You're risking that relationship when you tell a person the truth. But if you really love that person and you care more about them than you do yourself, you will tell them the truth, come what may. So she pulled me aside and she said, you know, you're wearing that sleeve how often? Morning and night, proud of it, morning and night. Seriously, I'm doing the right thing by golly, you know? And she said, Well, honey, what you're doing is you're setting your muscles and your knee up for dependence on that sleeve. And your muscles are not exercising, they're not, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're depending on that thing to uh, get better. And it's not gonna get better as long as you keep wearing that sleeve. You could have hit me over the head with a two-by-four. I looked at her. I went, oh, my G-O-S-H. I have been using that as a crutch. I've been believing God to heal my knee, and I'm putting more faith in that than I am in his word. Light bulbs, floodlights going off everywhere inside of me. I immediately repented. Immediately closed my eyes and repented to the Father. I, I was pretending. I, I was deceived. I, I literally had deceived myself. And I hugged her and thanked her for telling me the truth. You see how beautiful that is? I have not worn that sleeve since that moment. Nano. And my knee is stronger today than it's ever been. And I was able to put my faith in the word and not in that compression sleeve. Do you see how much we need each other to be truthful to one another? I'm so grateful for her. It changed my life. It literally changed my faith walk. So we're to rejoice in all this. Joy is a choice. It really is. And we all got to know something. Really get this deep in our hearts. 2 Corinthians 10. 
We are not fighting a war against people. We're fighting a spiritual war. And 2 Corinthians 10, it says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God through the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down every argument. That's every accusation. Who is who's the accuser of the brethren? Satan, the devil. Demons. Casting down arguments, accusations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of God. What is the obedience of God? The word. We're called to obey the word. Ephesians 6, 12, such a good verse here. For we do not wrestle against, say it again, who's flesh and blood? We are, say we are. Look around, look around. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Let's get that. Our battle is not with people. When you, when you really learn how to separate the sin from the person, now you can love the person and bring them out of the sin. But if you accuse the person of them being the sin, you can't love them. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. But now he's going to tell us what it is with. It's against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. Hello. There is a spiritual realm that is very real. And the thief cometh to steal, kill, and destroy. And he looks over your life to where he can get entrance. And I don't mean possession. I mean oppression. He can't possess a born-again believer. Your spirit is filled with Jesus, but he can't oppress you if you let him. He is a caged dog in a cage with a lock and key. He's in there, and he knows he's in there. He's been defeated by Jesus himself. Colossians 2.27 talks about it, made an open, triumphant victory of him. He knows he's defeated. The problem is, he wants to know if you know he's defeated. So he'll come with his fiery darts, his accusations, his judgments, all that mess to find out what are you going to say? What's going to come out of your mouth? And when you speak, whether it be death or life, He's got you. If it's death, he's got you. He's always happy as can be. But we, as born-again children of God, know that our battle is a spiritual battle. And we are to fight him with the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, shod, our thighs shod with, with, the, with truth, truth. Our feet shod with the gospel of peace, having that shield of faith which quenches all the fiery darts of the enemy and using the sword of the spirit. Jesus, our best example in Matthew 4, says it is written. You know, you can literally bounce off every fiery dart of the enemy just by saying that. 
it is written. It's the word of God. And the devil will know that you know. And he'll stop. Who's had that kind of experience? Raise your hand. That you were able to fight the devil by saying, it is written. And it stopped all the fiery darts. See, we have all this accessible to us. Are we using it? That's the issue at hand. So do you know that Jesus, even Jesus, had to learn obedience? There was a process for Jesus. Uh, Paul said that in Philippians 4, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be a, not have much, and I've learned to have a lot. But I've learned through this contentment that I can do all things through Christ, Christ who strengthens me. God's already given you everything to be victorious. It's a process. It's a learning curve. But keep learning and keep going in that direction that the Lord would have us go. Most people think that joy comes from outside circumstances. You know, a good hair day. Money coming in. You know, uh, that debt paid off. We think that's how joy comes, but it isn't. Joy comes from the inside. It's, it's a heart issue. Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the issues of life. We have to let and allow the fruit of the Spirit to grow and mature. And that happens a lot through trials, tribulations, and problems. John 16, says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world for you. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer. We cannot always control what's going on in the outside family, but we can control what's going on the inside. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So when we truly understand this, you'll really discover the greatest key that'll unlock a continual flow of joy in your life. And that is how the Lord wants each and every one of us to live each day as we're walking home. One day we're going to stand before the Lord, Jesus himself, and we're, we're going to long to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of the Lord. The joy is a big deal. Your faithfulness in serving the Lord on a day-to-day -day basis is going to give you eternal joy. That's what's going to get you there. Let's look at the last scripture. Well, two more scriptures and we'll be done. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. <clears throat> this is a powerful, powerful scripture that will wrap all this up. <clears throat> you know, um, I think two things are important as we are born-again believers. Josh, can you do me a favor? Come on up here. Can you put that first plate right here and the other plate over here? Two things. We're, we're to be about the Father's business. The Father's business is that no one perishes. His will is that no one perishes. And then, because we're already in the kingdom, we should be about that and equip ourselves with the word of God and let the word do the talking. You just be available and let God navigate you, navigate you 
to the places that he would like you to be. He needs all of us to do this. But if you will do this, I promise you, you get it in your heart and equip yourself. He will line you up for people who are crying out to know him. And you'll have that confidence of the word in you. You won't be babbling over, what do I say? You'll know what to say. Amen? The second thing is right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. You've got to see yourself as this. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wide master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. That's a very sobering scripture. Everybody take heed. Watch out. Pay attention. Be alert. Be alert. Be intentional on how you're building the foundation. The foundation is, for no other foundation can anyone lay than what is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If you're born again and you have the life of God in you, your foundation is Jesus Christ. Now, you're the builder, and you get to choose how you're building. You can either build with gold, silver. Let's bring this up here, Josh. Would you mind? Put it right up there. You can, you can either be building with gold, silver, and precious jewels. And this is just obeying the word and being about the Father's business. Or you can be building with wood, hay, and stubble. The choice is mine. Say that. The choice is mine. Remember, we're not blaming anybody. Nobody else is building your foundation. It's your foundation. There's no grandkids in heaven. It's just you and the Lord. So you're choosing in your everyday intercourse with people and God if you're building gold, silver, and precious jewels or wood, hay, and stubble. And that's what the Word of God says. It says, now if anyone builds this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, and stubble... Each one's work will become clear for the day. That day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Your whole life is going to be before the Lord and it's going to be tried by fire of whether or not it's going to be burned up or whether it's going to go through the fire and, and, and be intact. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved as through fire. Don't you know that you're the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. God's speaking over you. You're a holy temple unto God. Let no one deceive himself. Let no one deceive himself. You know, in Matthew 24, Jesus said, the disciples said, tell us, tell us what we're to look at or look for in the end of the ages. 
And Jesus said, he started off, he said, take heed to yourself that you be not deceived. And then he went on, one time pestilence, one time earthquakes, one time plagues, one time, one time, one time, four times deception. Four times. It is a mark of the end of the age, which we are in, is deception. Take heed to yourself that you be not deceived. Last scripture, 1 Peter, verse 3. Please take this to heart. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. I like to say for me, because it's a personal love letter from my father, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Are you all happy about that? Yes. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise and, be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, Though now you do not see him, yet believe. You rejoice with joy unexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. We're in a journey, and Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Looking unto Jesus. Family, things are going to get a little rough out there in the world, but we're not of the world. We're in it, but we're not of it. We're not to keep our eyes on the world. We're not to be entertained or distracted by the world. The word is very clear. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Let this all fall away from you. It's all going to happen. We know the end of the book, don't we? And in that, we should rejoice because one eye is on that day and we're headed in that direction. Amen. Father, I thank you so much that you love us so much that you're not willing for us to stay the same, but to be changed from glory to glory, from faith to faith, more and more into the image and likeness of your son, Jesus. Now, we know we're not perfect And we have not attained, but we want to. Our desire is to represent you well. So, Father, tonight, we ask that you put a floodlight in each one of us. And if there be any deception, any wickedness, anything in our life that is not pleasing to you, Father, that is not providing that walk and that purpose that you had planned for us, We're asking that you do an examination, and we humbly sit in your presence, and we humbly ask you to show us 
and to be truthful and real with us because we don't want to stay in the muck of any place that we've allowed the enemy to infiltrate. We don't like it there, not being a child of God. But sometimes we just don't know how to get out. So, Father, give us the plan. Show us the way. Help us to humble ourselves and ask the right questions. We want to, to please you. That's really our heart's desire. We want all the fruit of the Spirit operating in our life every single day of our life. So have your way. Have your way. Father, we love you so much. We're so grateful. We're so grateful for all the things that you've done for us. You gave us another day in the land of the living to praise you, to worship you, to thank you, to, to make corrections, to make adjustments. We still have breath in our body. We're still able to do it. Father, help us not harden our hearts through bitterness or offenses or unforgiveness. Even if you're bringing that person up to our, our heart right now, Father, help, help us all step into that place of repentance and unforgiveness and release them. Release them. You know, Stephen was being stoned, and Paul was standing there witnessing the whole thing. Stephen was allowed to see the vision of where he was going before he ever went. I think he didn't even feel a stone on his body. I think God said, this is where you're coming. And Stephen, all filled with the love of Jesus, spoke out of his mouth, Father, I forgive them. Lay it not to their charge. I loose them from this. Family, think about this. If you hold anyone bound by unforgiveness or offenses in your heart, they're bound. If Stephen had not said those words, would we have Paul today? Would he have been loosed enough for God to be able to deal with his heart on the road to Damascus? Oh, we've got to get in that place where our hearts are clean before the Lord, where we truly forgive each other and let it go and loose people. We are the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. We're to flow together and bring healing to the body. We all want to walk in healing, but we, we need to be in that place where it's flowing in all of us and through us because we're the precious body of Christ. So Father, have your way through your Holy Spirit. Jesus, walk among us. Do as you will tonight. We love you. We want all of you operating in our lives. That's really our heart's desire. Create in all of us a clean heart. And we thank you for that. Because we're asking, we believe we receive. I pray for each and every one of you tonight that you came in one way. But I pray the word of God and the spirit of God tonight is causing you to leave a different way. A different way. Where you have acknowledged and recognized where you're at and has taken full responsibility for it. It's your heart. And repent before the Lord 
And if you need to repent to someone else, because sometimes we just go vertical while somebody else is injured and living an injured life, and we need to go to them and repent and make it right. Let's get to that place, church, because that's where the unity is. That's where the commanded blessing is. That's where the miracles and the signs and the wonders start. It starts with the heart. The Bible says, judge yourself while you can judge yourself. You know, I'm, I think about all those people on Maui Island. You probably all saw the fires. They woke up one day thinking day, the day was going to be like a normal day. And for many, it was the last day on this earth. We don't know. Don't procrastinate. Don't put it off. If today you hear the truth, harden not your heart. Take care of it with the Lord. He's getting us positioned and ready to do some great things for him. Get on the playing field. Pray without ceasing. Get your heart cleaned out and ready and positioned before the Father. And get with each other. You know, the home groups are coming up. If you have not been in a home group, you are missing out on something incredible. I call it a wheel within a wheel. There's intimacy. There's prayer with one another. There's healings. There's incredible things that have happened at our home groups. Partake of it. Get involved. Don't forsake the assembling of yourself all the more as you see the day approaching. It's important that you obey the word. Father, we thank you for this night. We're so grateful for your love for us. And we bless you and honor you and give you all the glory and all the praise. Jesus, I pray that you are glorified tonight. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to offer the altar. If anybody would like to come up, please avail yourself. Or if you need any prayer, want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, anything at all. You're among family, and we love each other here. That is, I, that is our theme. One way we love God is by loving one another. So move more into that love. Amen. Be blessed. Have a great night. Traveling mercies for us all as we travel home. And take this to heart. Take this word to heart. Don't dismiss it. Amen. Jesus, you are enough. You are more than enough. In every situation, you're more than enough. Jesus, you're the one who changes hearts. You're the one who breaks chains off. You're the one who opens up graves and sets the captives free. Where the Spirit of the Lord there, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is the freedom. There is the freedom. Take your freedom. Take your freedom tonight and be blessed. Know the Lord loves you. He's with you. He'll never leave you. 
Family, you are and we are the most blessed people on the face of the earth. Do you believe it? If you do, say hallelujah. hallelujah. Glory to God. Be blessed and have a great week. Love you all. Good evening, everyone. Praise the Lord. So glad that you're all here. You know, I was thinking about tonight. In Hebrews, it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together with like-minded believers, even more as the day approaches. <laughs> so we're closer today than we were last week. So thank you for obeying the Lord. Do you ever think about it that way? You know, I'm sure every one of you had a thought, yeah, I don't want to go tonight. I got too much to do here. I want to get to bed early. I mean, the, the reasons and excuses are endless that the enemy feeds us. However, obeying the word of the Lord, there's something about that, isn't there? It's so beautiful. In Psalms 26, David wrote this psalm. And he speaks of what he loves and what he hates. So as I read this, think about this. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I will not slip. Examine me and prove me. Try my mind and my heart, for your loving kindness is ever before my eyes. I have walked in your truth. That's a great confession to make. I have not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor will I go with the hypocrites. I have hated the assembling of evildoers, and I'll not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocence, and I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. But as for me, I will walk in my integrity and redeem me and be merciful to me. My foot stands in an even place in the congregation. I will bless the Lord. I just want to encourage you all tonight to um, just kind of reiterate what, what David is saying. I love being in the habitation of your house with the fellowship of believers and he, there he blessed the Lord. There's something about coming into the house of God with like-minded believers. That's just so God. It brings the presence of the Lord. So let's stand up together. And let's bless the Lord tonight and thank him for who and what he is. Amen. Let's praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord. Give him a shout. Hallelujah. 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 We praise you, Lord. We worship you. We adore you and exalt you. You are the risen one, the lamb slain before the foundations of the earth. Father, we're so thankful for Jesus. 
Tonight, we've just gathered together with hearts full of thankfulness to you. You're a real, live God, our Lord, our Savior, our Master, our King, soon coming King. We love you and adore you tonight. We thank you in advance for what you want to do in this place, in our hearts. We're so grateful. We're grateful this side of the Red Sea. We thank you for it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. One way we love God is by loving one another. So take a few minutes and just hug on each other and tell them you're glad to see them tonight. Well, good evening. We'd invite you to find a seat. We'd like to welcome you to Church of the Word International. Is there anybody here with us for the very first time tonight? Everybody's family. All right. Well, we're going to just go over a few announcements, and then Josh is going to come up and bring forth the tithe message tonight. So just a reminder that tomorrow is the Youth and Young Adults Pool Party at the Laps Pool. So please um, look at that in the bulletin for the time, but it's 1 to 4.30 p.m. And anybody that's entering into eighth grade, so if you are new to the youth group this year, you're invited. This is your welcome initiation party. So see Josh and Alicia if you're planning on attending and you haven't RSVP'd yet. In September, there is an annual men's retreat on September 8th and 9th over in York. And I know many of you have gone to that in the past. That's with the Abundant Life Center Church. They um, put that on. So if you would like to have cost and registration forms, you can see Debbie for that. And then also, if you've noticed our amazing CWI sign that's out front, we are still looking for two or three volunteers to put that up before church starts and take it down at the end of the night. So if there's anybody that is willing to do that on a Saturday evening, please see Debbie. And also, our leadership training school is about to start back up. We've been on a summer vacation, but in September, on September 9th, we'll be starting leadership training school again. So if you are looking to deepen your walk with the Lord and become a lifelong learner of the word, this is an amazing school. Many people in here have gone to LTS and could give you amazing testimonies of what's happened in their life from going to LTS. So if you are looking to even get information about possibly joining, you can see me after the service and I would be happy to give you information. Okay, Josh. All right. Are you ready to give your tithes and offerings? At least the financial end this time, right? So as we prepare for the great opportunity we have to return the tithes to the Lord uh, and to give unto the work of the Lord, I'd like to encourage you in your faith a little bit. You know, when Jesus walked the earth, there, if you read through the Gospels, uh, approximately 46 times it mentioned that people were amazed by Jesus, right? You hear that a lot. They marveled at the things he said. They were amazed by him. Well, there are two times that it says that Jesus was amazed. And if we look at those two times, I think it's important because if Jesus is amazed by something, then we should take that to heart, right? Does that make sense? Okay, I'm glad you agree, because I thought so too. So let's first turn to Mark. We're going to look at Mark chapter 6. Then he went out from there and came to his 
own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, or amazed, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So, so they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. So Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. Uh, I did say I was going to encourage you, so just hang with me a little bit. <laughs> but do you notice the reaction of the people here? I think we have to read this with a little bit of sarcasm because the first sentence says, well, who is this guy? But they're not saying, oh, wow, who is this man? They're saying, who does this guy think he is? We, we know him. We've, we grew up with him. You know, when, when Jimmy broke his arm playing football together, Jesus didn't heal him then. Why is he going around doing all these things? But the interesting part is they all heard the same stories that everywhere else heard too. It's, I mean, it, it, it says there, it, it, in verse, uh, verse 2, where did he get these things? Uh, that such mighty works are performed by his hands. So they heard the testimonies that were happening in the other cities. But this is their response to him. And Jesus has marveled at their unbelief. Let's, let's go to a more encouraging time that Jesus marveled or was amazed. Turn with me to Matthew 8, starting in verse 5. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, or was amazed, and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way as you have believed, so let it be done for you. You might be asking why I'm using this for a tithe message. Uh, and it's because it's what the Lord gave me. Do you notice the difference in their response to Jesus? We said that the, the people in his hometown responded with, pride and disrespect, right? Well, the centurion is coming to him from a place of humility, recognizing who he is and that he has the power to heal his son. So his response is important, just like our response should be important to the Lord. Do we come to him with humility? When, when we give, our, when we return our tithe to him, are we recognizing, Lord, this is yours. You have blessed me with income and this part's yours. I want to give it back to you. Uh, 
The important part that I think we need to notice at the bottom here was when Jesus said, go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. We, week after week, like Kelly said last week, week after week, we get really good, spirit-filled teaching about the tithe and offering every single week. Do we really believe that what we believe is really real? As we're putting our offering and our tithe in that basket, are we doing it with faith that God will bless us and that he will provide more seed for the sower? Because if we're not doing it with faith, then it's not an offering to the Lord. Uh, Last week, Jonathan said, worship is a sacrifice. So the tithe is the Lord's. That's not a sacrifice. But the offering, the additional, the more that you give, that is a sacrifice. That affects your budget. But the Lord says... I will reward you, and and that seed will return to you. So if you're doing that in faith with, like Jesus said, go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. So your level of faith, your level of belief of what you're putting in the basket is how it will be done back to you. All right. There is an example in Scripture. I didn't look up the Scriptures, but... uh, one thing I find really interesting, you know when the Israelites were giving to the, tabern- to the building of the tabernacle? And uh, at one point, Moses said, stop, it's enough. Or maybe it was Aaron. They were like, stop, it's enough. That's more than enough. You, you brought us more than what we need. Just a couple of weeks earlier, they were slaves in Egypt. And remember when they left Egypt, what did the Egyptians do? They gave them gold. They gave them silver. They gave them clothing. They gave them tons of stuff. So God provided seed for the slaves to then sow into the building of his tabernacle. And it was more than enough. So if he can do that with slaves, leaving Egypt, he can do it with us too, right? Praise the Lord. Does anybody need a cash envelope? An envelope full of cash or an empty envelope to put cash in. Either one is fine. Um, I don't have any full ones on me, but the ushers will help you out there. And as they're they're doing that, uh, let's pray over the offering. Father, thank you so much that you are an abundant God, that you give uh, more than we could ask or think, Father, overflowing abundance in all areas of our life, Father, that you desire us to prosper in all ways. We are so grateful that, for that, Father. I ask you to bless the, the offerings and the tithes that are given, Father, and let your word be true in each of our hearts and remind us through the week what, what we believe is really real, Father, that you are a blesser. In Jesus' name, amen. The baskets will be passed and the people will be obedient to the Lord and will give to the Lord. Because it's not to man, right? You don't give to man, you give to the Lord. Well, that should be who you're giving to. And that should be who you're receiving from up here too.